all things. We're grateful to your your sacrifice, uh, the price you paid for our redemption. We're grateful for peace. We're grateful for uh, this place where we can gather as members of your body, as believers, and uh, sing, pray, and uh, fellowship, and uh, be in your word, which we now do. So we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, that you would open our eyes, uh, quicken our minds to see the truth in your word, and to be changed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, You know, I'll just be pretty straight up with you. My heart is really heavy today, and for different reasons, but uh, you probably know there's a major war going on in Eastern Europe. Um, (laughs) I can't imagine you wouldn't know that, but... um, and you probably know uh, Russia is, has invaded Ukraine and essentially wants to take Ukraine back, uh, similar to what it was in the days of the USSR. Um, the Ukrainian people, much to the whole world's surprise, are extremely zealous in fighting and uh, fighting to preserve their liberty and resisting the, really what should be the overwhelming might of the Russian superpower at great personal cost. And yeah, I, I tend to not be too militaristic, but you can't not be impressed by the lengths the Ukrainian people are willing to go to to retain their freedom and their identity. And... Uh, Equally, I think you can't but be amazed at the extreme measures the Russian nation is taking to get the opposite result. And um, it's just, it's heavy on me. And uh, I think if... If you're involved in things, there will always be a cost. You know, if you have a family or don't have a family, by having a family, there will be costs to pay. Anybody who's had a family, uh, marriage or children, by that is what I'm referring to, um, there's great costs that are born. There's blessing and there's costs. And um, I guess maybe this is my way of saying by caring about the global situation of which we are a part just a very small part at this point in time in 2022 um, and by being kind of broad mission minded or global minded I'm sure Kia in some ways would would feel similarly to to invest some of your time or thought or energy in that it comes with a cost and um, I'll I'll just briefly mention at the end of the message today one guy who paid the ultimate cost who is our brother in Christ um, but so the, the Ukraine war whatever you want to call it the I don't even know the Russian uh, mumbo jumbo on it but whichever wherever you would stand in all of this this war essentially it's about a whole bunch of things but one of the things it's about is citizenship the Ukraine people 
want to be Ukrainian and have all the freedom that being a, a citizen of an independent Ukraine sovereign nation entails. Um, Vladimir Putin and the Russian forces, that's not what they want. They want the Ukrainian people, I'm not really sure all of what they want, but they want the Ukrainian people essentially to be citizens of the Russian power and might. And I thought how strangely, wonderfully appropriate. Because uh, as a lot of you know, when I have been preaching for the last couple years, which I do sporadically, I've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we'll be today. Uh, Today we'll be at the end of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. But um, if you have one of uh, my outlines, I'm sorry if you don't... um, But if you have one, um, this will list the text, the context of today's text is the overall Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, early in his ministry, declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. And what it means to live in that kingdom, to be a citizen in that kingdom. The Ukrainian people have a good idea what it would mean to be a citizen of Russia. And for the most part, They're not interested. Um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, new on the scene, early in his ministry, is declaring what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. Most people, not interested. I mean, let's just be honest. Most people are not interested. Sadly, I would say not enough Christians are passionately interested to know what it means to be in the kingdom and the rights, the responsibilities, the privileges, the costs, all that that entails. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is essentially all about. So it's Jesus addressing his disciples and the greater uh, crowd of, you know, everybody else. Um, Why? The Sermon on the Mount. Why? These are just basic kind of questions when you get into the Word. It's always a good idea to understand these things. Who's talking? Who are they talking to? What's the purpose? Um, Why? Um, You can answer that blank on your own. I just put um, Matthew 4.23. Jesus was preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Key verses in that whole thing. Totally your choice. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, what's, uh, where do we stand between belief and actions? I believe it was last week, Spencer was even talking on that, about faith and works. Would that have been last week? Anybody? Yeah, I think it was. Faith and works, and that's always a common kind of thing, belief and actions, or faith and works. Um, every religion those are, the, those are the two things. What do you believe and what do you have to do? And I've always maintained that every religion other than gospel-focused biblical Christianity, it's all about actions. It's all about works. It's all about what I or what you would do in whatever religion that you would be involved in. And the gospel is far less about what you do and it's all about what you believe. And so the Sermon on the Mount, that's what it's all about. It's Jesus telling people 
in, a, in essence, in this kingdom, what to believe and then how it affects how you act. And so, though we are saved by faith through grace, we are saved, Ephesians 2.10, for a purpose. And in essence, it's the cart and the horse, and it's very important that the horse pulls the cart, right? I mean, you've heard that overworked cliche forever. If you put the cart in front of the horse, I mean, that'd be pretty weird. Yet people do that with religion continually. And so gospel Christianity is to believe what we've just celebrated. Believe some of the things Brian was leading us in singing. Believe what the Bible says. Believe what Jesus said. And through that belief, we are born again. And the very essential part of being born again is repentance. It's a change of life. Anything that leaves that out is false. It's a false repentance or it's a false belief. So I cannot be born again and dramatically changed by the creator of the universe and remain unchanged. I mean, really, it doesn't even make any sense if you were to think that. So belief and actions. I will pose the question to you. Which is more important? And my answer would be they're equally both critical. They're equally both critical. You, you have to have belief. If they don't believe, how will they believe if someone's not sent? How will they believe? Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching that people would believe. And the natural... God's sovereign ordained result of belief is actions. That I would be born again and my life would change and everything changes. And you're thinking, what's all this got to do with what we're talking about? Well, it's at that moment that you or I become a citizen in the kingdom of God. It's at that moment of redeeming faith, of being born again. And then actions come. James said, "Without faith without works is dead. And he even used examples of the demons believe. They believe more than you and I because they see much more than you and I. Yet they don't have works, essentially. They are in rebellion to God. So faith without works is dead. So both of those are very important. I'm stressing this now because all of the Sermon on the Mount was for that purpose. If you go through the, the chapters that we've been through, we started a couple years ago probably with the Beatitudes. And the very first one, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to enter this kingdom, you must be poor in spirit. You must have humility. You must say, I cannot do this on my own. And the very next one, I see myself in this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I am, I would say, in a state of mourning because what's happening in Ukraine is absolutely heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And you know if you followed it. I mean, babies are dying. Pregnant mothers are being killed. Cities are being destroyed. Historical landmarks. And I understand 
war, I understand God is sovereign and he raises up nations and tears them down. I know from the Bible he did that in a very violent way with his own nation, his own people. I understand that. But I still mourn over sin to see what happens. And it's troubling. And I will say to you today and to you, Lord, I look forward to that time when I will be comforted. I look forward to that time. And if you are troubled, if things trouble you, if you mourn over the sinful state of this world, you will be comforted. Right? You will be comforted. And I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking right and left wing. and I'm not talking that. I'm talking mourning over sin. Okay, so Jesus, as he preached through this sermon, he said an amazing amount of important things. He talked about people in the kingdom and the purpose that we have to be salt and light. And it's all about purpose. We are in this kingdom, if you in fact are in this kingdom of God, with divine purpose. And Anatolia, the guy I'm going to mention at the end, understood his divine purpose for being on planet earth in 2022. Salt and light. Um, Jesus gave good teaching on things like anger and lust and divorce. Um, he, He said that he's the fulfillment of the law so that anybody who understood the law and hopefully realized they couldn't measure up. He declared he was the fulfillment of it. So I can measure up to God's requirement through him. That was powerful in that time. That is powerful today for every single person who feels the conviction that they don't have it. They can't do it. They're not all that. They're not adequate for God. And they're not ready to die. That is the gospel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And if I place my faith in him, I am seen by God in approval because of his son, which is exactly what we were talking about earlier. Okay, and so he moves on through this Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapter 6, he talks about hypocrisy, and he picks the three, probably the three biggest religious kind of activities in that time. Giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Those religious observances. Those were like the three big things. And he stressed that they should be done in secret to avoid hypocrisy. Now, he wasn't saying you always must do it in secret. But in his time... To be seen as somebody who's really arrived and really has has made it and they're really someone was very common, especially among the religious people, which he lived in a very religious society. So he stresses, don't worry about what you look like to somebody else and don't go through this religious thing to impress people. If you need to, go do it in a closet. Give in secrets. Do things for people who can't pay you back. And he stresses all these things as he's going through the Sermon on the Mount. And then he talks about money. Why would he talk about money? Why would Jesus talk about money? I'm told that's the number one topic he talked about. Now, 
not that that would really be a big issue for you and I today because we're not really, you know, money is not that big of a deal for us, right? I mean, everybody's content. No, you know, nobody's trying to buy stuff. Money is a hugely important thing. And so he said in 619, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store them up in heaven where it will have eternal, lasting value. Treasures. And then, verse 22, 23, I'm not going to deal with that today either. I didn't the last time. And then he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be, he or she, ladies, just so we're clear, he or she will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And some people are like, okay, what's one, what's the other, all this? Well, it's perfectly clear in the next sentence. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve. You cannot serve two masters. As a guy once said to me, and I've quoted him, you and Jesus can't both look good at the same time. Remember? Remember? Both you and Jesus can't look good at the same time. Either I can make myself look good, or I can make him look good. But they both, we both can't look good at the same time. And I apply that to a lot of things in life. You can't serve with devotion to masters. And that's why he was talking about money. And then he gets to our passage, which I will read now. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, because of all the stuff he's just said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Okay, I'm going to stop there and say I'm reading from the ESV. Different versions will use slightly different words. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Consider these roses and those mums. I mean, who can make any garment that can rival something like that? It's, in some flowers, the closer you look, the more beautiful they become. So he says, not even Solomon the richest, most powerful person in his time in the world. Not even Solomon with all his glory was arrayed like one of these, one flower. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things will be added to you. Okay, there's, if I was Spencer, I could probably be like six months in that paragraph, right? Or more, but I'm not, you know? (laughs) And so what I thought is, okay, out of this passage, I'm going to key on the word anxious or worry. Or if you have the King James, I think it says uh, to take care or have a care. Is that correct? Anybody have the King James? Take thought. Take no thought. Yeah, take, so taking thought would be the equivalent of being anxious and worry. And Jesus is saying, take no thought or do not be anxious. Or I think the NIV and others would say, do not worry. Um, so there's important words in all of this. Anxious. That word is the one where we're going to spend a little bit of time. But uh, some other words, Gentiles. If you're a student of the Bible, that's, that one's not going to be a problem for you. But if you're not, you're probably thinking, okay, well, Gentiles, I think, is like somebody who's not Jewish. So why is Jesus, you know, kind of like maybe putting them down or something? Well, the word itself in the Greek um, is in your little handout if you have it. And it basically means, it does mean non-Jewish, but it, be, it also means nations, heathen, uh, unbelievers, There's a lot of words in the New Testament that are used that way, and some of them are specifically uh, countries or people, but the implication is unbelieving people. And so if you see Gentiles like that, that's what he's talking about, is the unbelieving, the heathen. He's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience who, if you understand the whole Sermon on the Mount, a lot of them had a whole lot of pride in who they were, children of Abraham. And Jesus said here, as he says in many places, you know, even the Gentiles who you think are the lowest people, you know, this is what they go after, but you should go after something else. Okay? Gentiles. Uh, by the way, on this, the number I gave is the Strong's Concordance number. Uh, the next one is body. Uh, I said that in the first sentence there. Uh, Don't be concerned about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And that usually means what you would think of body, uh, the word itself. It could be a living body, like I have, or it could be a corpse uh, and a dead body. Um, And it's even used like for the entire person. The Apostle Paul used that word body, soma, uh, in First Corinthians, when he's talking about a man having physical sexual relations with a prostitute, and he's saying, you know, when you do that, if you do that, you are joining your body, but it was more than just the physical bodily connection. It, it's like you're, you're connecting your being with the one of a prostitute, and how absolutely inappropriate that would be. And in Colossians chapter 2, the book that Tom was reading from earlier, uh, it's even refers to like substance. So if you think of a being and then the body adds substance to it. Um, The next one is life. So when Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's more than my heart is beating. And when my heart stops, I lose my life. Um, This word, Greek word, which I won't butcher by trying to pronounce, but it's very similar to our word psyche, which has to do kind of like with your mental state. Um, And this Greek word can be uh, interpreted or translated as breath, 
the person, the mind, even the soul. And I thought we'd turn to John 10 since uh, Vladimir Putin quoted this scripture in the past week. Uh, so let's, if, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, you can briefly turn to John 10, 11 and, well, just John 10, 11. And this will be familiar to you if you're a student of the word. So we're looking at the word life when Jesus said, don't be anxious about your life. This is another use of that word. Um, it's a very popular passage, Jesus talking about the sheep and the shepherd. And in verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, for the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And at this point, I'm wondering why I don't see what it was I was looking for that Mr. Putin quoted. Um, but he basically said that uh, there's no greater love than a man or person, man or woman, lay down their life for another, which was strangely ironic for Mr. Putin to be quoting, I thought. But... Um, but that, so this is the word life. So you understand that a lot of times when you read the Bible, um, there's so much overlap. And, you know, we tend to think in the modern scientific American mind, we want everything specifically delineated, right? I mean, don't you want to, don't you want to just be able to say, okay, this is what this means, or this is what this, this is what happens in this situation. Is that familiar to your way of life? Sandy's nodding her head. Tom's not. But believe me, Tom is that guy, right? I mean, you want, he wants everything. We want to know where the boundaries are. We want to know what's what. Look in the contract. Read the protocol. And that's part of our American way of life. We want it, everything clear. But the Bible's not always that way. I mean, so there's a lot of overlap between words like mind and soul and spirit and, and life. And, and some words are translated differently. There's uh, multiple Greek words that will be translated life. So you can either <clears throat> not care about that stuff, which I don't recommend. Or you can be a student of the word. And when you read the word, then study those words and get into it and see, okay, what does he mean? Because Jesus says a ton of things that are way challenging, right? All the time. All the time. This right here. I tell you, don't be anxious for, about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what will you put on? Okay, well, there's a, there's a country called Ukraine and there's a city called Mariupol. And it's a mess. And so, Greg, am I saying that Jesus would say, hey, don't worry. Just chill. Be happy. You know, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, even though there hasn't been anything to eat or clean water or anything for weeks now. See why we have to be a student of the Word? 
Because this truth applies to them as it did to the people Jesus was talking to. So the, the trick now for us is to say, okay, what is he saying here? What is Jesus saying when he says, don't worry about your life? And when I speak, I don't always want to just like lay out all the answers. To be honest, my kind of part of my motivation is like stir it up a little. Because you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can do way more than I can do in 40 minutes. So that's, I'm just being straight from the heart. Okay, and now the, now the word anxious. It can mean take thought, care, worry. It's usually a negative word, but not always. Um, and, the, and the passage out of Luke there that I've listed it's the Mary and Martha passage that many of you will be familiar with. Jesus kind of is having dinner at, at his friend's house. And there's two women, adult women, who are hosting the meal. And if you don't know the story, uh, Martha is a very organized, uh, disciplined uh, goal-oriented, I'm thinking, type of person, and she's working hard because Jesus, the so-called Messiah, has come to her house for dinner with a, probably who knows how many other people. And so she's working very hard. Most of you ladies especially would get this, like having company for dinner and your husband's still watching the game, and you're like, they're going to be here in like 15 minutes. Hello, would you vacuum the floor? Right? Does that sound at all familiar? So... Uh, so Martha is working. She's got the pots going, the steam's coming, you know, she's frying and cooking and broiling and barbecuing or whatever she's doing. And Mary, the slacker that Mary is, is just hanging with Jesus. And she's like, this is awesome, man. The Son of God is in my house. And she's just sitting there soaking it up. Right? You know the story. And so Martha's like, Jesus, tell her to get up and get to work. I can't do all this on my own. Parenthesis, worry will tend to make you attack other people or be critical or, you know, it's not good for you and it doesn't have a good effect on those around you. So she's freaking out and so she asks the boss, Jesus, to tell Mary to get up off the floor and get to work. And as you know in the story, Jesus is like, no way, man. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. And I tend to think Jesus would, would even think, forget lunch. I can make lunch if we all get hungry. You know, don't worry about it. You know, we're here to have fellowship and to worship. And, but that's worry. That's what he says. He says, Martha, you worry about many things. And so it's not a positive thing. Though the word, the Greek word, can be positive at different times. And so now I'm looking at my uh, random kind of notes and I have a word there that says visuals which now tells me that Joel will show some stuff to us. So, um, you know, you probably know this about me but I always want to take the Bible and like make it real life. You know what I mean? Because that's what God has always done with his word to me. So I'm always hungry to kind of give it to you in a way that you can do something with it. Okay, so what's the difference between worry and concern? I kind of came up with these definitions. I looked on the internet, then I kind of modified them. So, you know, 
if you're a word person, you don't like this, we're cool. We're still friends, right? This is, I'm not saying, you know, whoever the Webster guy was that came up with this. It, this is just what I'm using, okay? What's the difference between worry and concern? Concern is when an issue grabs your attention and you begin to feel unsettled or distressed. War in Ukraine got my attention. I am unsettled and distressed. This is followed by productive actions and solutions. Now, that's important. So if you're like, I kind of worry about stuff, and your husband or wife is like, honey, don't worry, and then you tend to be, well, like, well, I'm not really worrying because that's not good. I'm concerned. Okay, does it match this? Worry is feeling uneasy or anxious about an issue. This causes you to think about the same thing over and over without making any progress. Does this sound familiar? That's worry. Worry is wasted effort that drains the person and has no benefit to them or those around them. And Martha would have said, well, I've got to worry about the cooking, man. Someone's got to do it. It's not really having a benefit on her or herself. Concern leads an individual towards a solution and often involves the help of others. Okay, so I created these uh, corny little graphics, Joel, if you'll... So, okay, think of this as concern. Concern takes you from someplace to someplace. You're moving in a direction, okay? Worry is that. The dog chasing its tail. So if you're making progress on something that's heavy on your heart, that's probably more concern, less worry. If you're just like, ah, and you're going around, 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 and nothing's happening, that's probably worry. And uh, the last one, okay, so is it worry or concern? You know, if you're feeling freaked out over something, um, I don't know, pick something. Is there going to be another wave of COVID that just you know, blows everything up again? <clears throat> well, probably. It looks like that's coming. But are you going to worry about it or be concerned? Are you making progress or simply freaking out? If you're just like, I can't sleep at night because, you know, it's probably worry. Are others involved or is it you against the world? If it's just you and nobody else really understands, they don't know what you're going through, you know, not even your husband, he doesn't get it, he's over there snoring right next to you, and you know, you're like, ah. it's probably worry. You can change it to concern. Is it something you can tangibly affect? Is it fixable? Okay. If I'm just freaking out over the bombs falling, that's, I can't tangibly affect, affect that. I can't fix that. Right? I mean, I don't have a hotline to Mr. Putin and say, hey, dude, lay off. Can you just ground the planes just for one day? I can't. Except, but I can make it a concern and move it in a very positive direction, which we'll say in a minute. Is it leading you toward positive results or into a swamp? You know, where is this feeling, this issue taking you? Now, how does this relate to the whole thing going on in Ukraine? Well, it's a concern. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, we all way underestimate prayer. Way underestimate prayer. 
And we can intently, in faith, lift up that what's going on in Ukraine and make a difference. Now, you can pray, well, Lord, just save Vladimir Putin and end the war. I don't know about that one. You know, that you're going to have to be Moses and part the Red Sea or something. But you can intently pray, God, you have people in the middle of that. You have people. Give your people faith. Give your people strength. Uh, help them deal with the heartache and the trouble that they're going through. Lift people up. Lift up people, your people in the middle of all this, that will draw other people to them through faith. I absolutely guarantee that is going on right now. I guarantee it. I'll just tell you about one person. Okay, so this is uh, pretty much where we're at on, on my notes. Um, I hope this has been helpful. Before we do the, uh, okay, so what now? I I do want to share two more things with you. Um, I looked up just online, like, uh, okay, how are American people doing, dealing with stress and stuff? And the American Psychological Association just had their second annual, like, COVID mental health survey, or I don't know, whatever it is, but they started this after a year into the COVID thing. So they just had their second one. And the people that they surveyed reported significant sources of stress related to inflation, global uncertainty, and Ukraine. 87% of the people that they um, surveyed reported significant stress over the rise in prices of everyday items due to inflation, gas prices. What did Jesus say? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Right? Don't worry. Don't be anxious about that. Uh, supply chain issues. Does anybody know, are all the ships like still stuck off the coast of, the west coast of the U.S. because they can't offload or something? Are they still? It's like, what's going on with that? But don't stress over it. 81% of, of the people that the American Psychological Association surveyed said that's a significant source of stress. I saw two pictures last night. One was in a store in uh, Kiev. And, uh, no, it was Lviv, which is a, a city that's not really under siege yet, but it's in Ukraine. All the shelves were stocked. And then somebody else had sent a picture of a store in Russia, in Moscow. All the stores were empty. <laughs> so it's like, go figure. You know, one country is under attack, and they had what they needed. Global uncertainty. You know, Putin's got a thousand nuclear warheads. All that dude's got to do is flip out one time, right? I mean, this whole thing can spin wildly out of control, right? I mean, that's being realistic. The bro knows. He's been in the military. It's like, this can go from A to Z quickly. But don't worry. There is a sovereign God who has his hand on it all, on it all. And if he wants nuclear holocaust, ain't nothing he's going to do about it, right? He's your heavenly father. Trust him. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Potential retaliation from Russia, 80% of the people, that's, they were stressing over that right there. 
And uh, in Russian invasion of Ukraine, eight out of ten people were also freaked out over that. So we live in a world that's tweaked and tweaking. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot of concern. Don't worry. Don't worry. And it's not stick your head in the sand. It's put your trust where it belongs. Okay, so what now? Um, Okay, I listed four things here. Do something. That's the first one. Do something. Don't just listen. Don't just have given me very politely about 45 minutes of your life. Do something. Change. Grab hold of something. Change. If you do that, if you determine to do that, you're already on a good road. The second thing, self-examine. Kingdom principles or the world. Look at your life. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you haven't read? No, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but this will just be a rhetorical question. Have you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 since I started preaching on it? Kingdom principle. If you're a citizen of Russia, you need to know how to play the game. If you're in Ukraine, six months or a year from now, you'll need to know What's it like to be a Ukrainian citizen? If you're in the kingdom of God now, you need to know how this works. So self-examine it. Are you living by kingdom principles or the world's principles? Because I'm just going to tell you, the worldly stuff, it's coming and going fast, very fast. Number three, grab one concern and drop one worry. Okay, so pick something that you and just determine with God's help, Lord help us, you will be concerned about something you haven't been concerned about, something that is biblical. Okay, that's for you to figure out what that would be. It could be the salvation of your neighbor, who's the most annoying person you've ever known. Right? Make that a concern. You don't want that person to go to hell. Literally, you do not. You might kind of question sometimes, but you don't. Right? So make that a concern. And drop one worry. Identify something that's like, okay, I can't change that. It's beyond my control. I'm not going to worry about that. You have to make the conscious decision and take the action. And if you're like, well, I can't get it out of my head. Okay, that brings us to number four. Memorize. I just listed three passages that all have to do with this. I was meeting with a guy this past week and he was stressing out with anxiety and stuff. And I'm like, dude, read some of the Psalms. He reads Proverbs like every day. He's like, man, it's wisdom. Every day I read a chapter. I'm like, okay. Don't overdose on, you know, the vitamins in Proverbs. You know, it's like you can't put it all into action all the time. That's a good thing, but you're stressing. So maybe read some of the Psalms and just kind of chill or read about David when he was freaking out and think okay he freaked out and God was still his hope and his salvation alright Lord thank you oh nope I didn't read my story did I Anatoly I came across uh, early in the war a very popular picture that was shown all over it's when the civilians were first getting killed and there was this poor woman laying in the street. She'd been blown up with her teenage son and her uh, daughter, younger daughter, and a fourth person. 
And the fourth person was a guy who was helping her carry what little belongings she was taking, trying to get her to safety. And then I found out that guy's name is Anatoly. And he was 26 years old. And he's among the many civilians that were killed. This was Sunday, so it's probably two Sundays ago. And I'm just going to read a little bit about him. Since the war began, the church, his church, in... I can't think of the name of the city now, but it's out of Kiev, and it's been getting pounded. Uh, Anyway, his church... Uh, has transported 100 to 200 evacuees every day. So they're getting people from the combat zone into safety. As the Russians approach, they bust out 3,000 people. Early on, the government, the Ukrainian government, took notice what what they were doing, and they started to direct everybody in that city to this church to, you know, to be safe, to get something to eat, and then be helped out. Anatoly was one who left. He was a young man, he was married, he got his wife to safety, probably to Lviv or maybe to Poland, and he returned. Originally from Luhansk in the Donbass region, if you know anything about this, the Donbass have been they've been fighting down there for years. He began began, began attending the Irpin, that was the city, Irpin. The Irpin Bible Church in twenty twenty, becoming a member last year. And it's always an IT professional in a local company. And he served the media ministry in his church. After evacuating his wife Diana and other family members to safety in the West, he joined the church's skeleton crew on Friday. The shelling began in earnest on Saturday. Again, this is probably two weeks ago, I'm assuming. And they hustled out as many people as they could, crossing the bridge the Ukrainian army had damaged to slow the Russian advance. No doubt you've seen that, where people are walking, you know, blown up bridge, and old ladies and, you know, people and stuff are going, crossing this river. Um, So he was doing that. On Sunday, he went missing. Friends worried, prayed, and scanned social media for photos of the dead. They saw his sneakers in one his sweater in a second, and a few minutes later, the third photo revealed his faith, his face. We miss him very much, his pastor said. This is a tragedy for his family and the church. God has a plan beyond our understanding, but it is difficult. So, young man, 26, his whole life ahead of him, took his wife and other people to safety and could have kept going. And he chose to come back because he understood what the kingdom of God is really about. As Mr. Putin said, no greater love has a man than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. So I hope um, you will analyze what is anxiety or worry in your life and be free from that and develop more concern, especially about things that maybe we as kingdom people should be concerned about, and maybe we aren't, because we live a life of distraction sometimes. So, Lord, now, thank you. Uh, Thank you for this time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you we can meet. We can talk. Uh, I pray, God, that you do all the stuff I can't do, which is much. But I pray that you be active and at work in the hearts of uh, all of us here 
we lift up especially your people in Ukraine and Russia. We lift up your people, Christians who are fighting on both sides of that conflict. God, may you direct your people. May you encourage your people. May you lift them up. May you protect them to do all that you have determined they should do. And I pray, God, there will be more stories of Christians whose lives are not so precious to them that they serve you and are willing to lay it down. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the meal we're about to eat. And for this morning, we pray you be glorified in all things. In Christ's name, amen.